Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I'm so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Friends, I'm so excited about today's episode. Today, we're talking about how to be more gutsy, how to stop procrastinating, get unstuck, and pursue our dreams. Now, tell me if this sounds familiar. You have a dream in your heart. Maybe it's something to do with your career or your life in general, and you've been wanting to do something about it for a long time, but you have no idea what your next step should be. You're feeling stuck, and you're also constantly finding yourself seeking the validation and approval of others, which just leaves you feeling so tired. What do we do about this? How do we get past our fears, stop putting things off, and go for the things we want in life? Well, today's guest is going to help us answer those questions. Our guest for today's episode is my new friend, Natalie Frank. Natalie is an author, a speaker, a community builder, a neuroscience nerd, and the chief evangelist at HoneyBook, where she supports over 100,000 independent business owners. Because of that, Natalie knows a thing or two about what it looks like to pursue your dreams and not let your fears hold you back. Her newest book is called Gutsy, Learning to Live with Bold, Brave, and Boundless Courage. In it, she gives readers the push they need to take the next step and bravely follow their dreams. Here are just a few of the things she's gonna teach us. We're gonna talk about how to stop procrastinating on our dreams. We'll talk about how to reframe our mindset on failure. We'll talk about how to embrace our own path. We'll talk about how to stop letting others' opinions hold us back and so much more. Now, I know I say this all the time, but this is one of my favorite episodes we've ever done on the show. Natalie is amazing. I cannot wait for you to hear from her. So cozy up, grab a notebook, and get ready to make a move in your dream. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. 
It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash friendship. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay, friends, I feel like I could have just talked to our guest today and forgotten to hit record. And then we get like an hour in and I realized that we had the conversation without you. So, hey, welcome. Come on in. Um, I am so excited for who you get to meet. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Natalie Frank, who I was just telling her, I have been following her for like, years and years, like a, like a lot, probably like eight or something. Um, and so it's so, it's just such a treat to get to sit down with her and, um, to get to introduce you guys too. And so anyway, Natalie, welcome to Girls Night. Thanks for inviting me to Girls Night. I'm here. I brought popcorn. I brought, what else do I have with me? Um, some movies. I've got the latest Taylor Swift album. Where do we want to start? I'm, I'm in for it. I'm so excited. The amount of did you get Taylor Swift tickets or are you no. feeling as much fun? 
I didn't. And I can't talk about it without getting really emotional. So, um, no, I didn't get them. I was, I, yeah. I mean, a lot of people didn't, but I've been celebrating with those who are celebrating and loving all the outfits and living vicariously through all of your, you know, Instagram stories, all of you who are out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all of you who, who got tickets. Yeah, I didn't get them either. And I definitely been feeling some FOMO. Although one of her shows in Nashville was the one where it like Cold. rained torrentially. Yeah. And yeah. so like that night, I, I remember going, oh my gosh, it's Taylor Swift tonight. I'm so sad that I'm not there. And then I looked outside and was like, this looks not good weather-wise. So that softened, softened the blow for me a little bit. But yeah, mm-hmm. anyone who has tickets or has had tickets, um, enjoy because we're jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, Natalie, tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself. Yeah, so besides being a Taylor Swift aficionado, I mm-hmm. do have other other things that I do. So I am a mama bear for small business. I've been an advocate and a small business owner for well over the last decade and a half. I am the chief evangelist at a company called Honeybook, which is a fancy way of saying that in that advocacy for our small businesses, I also empower them to understand how to run that business, the operations, the client flow, and teaching. A lot of education kind of falls under that umbrella. I'm also a mom to two little miracles, Huey and Harlow. I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Hugh. We live in Annapolis, Maryland, which is this little colonial town right on the Chesapeake Bay. And I'm a terrible cook, although I no longer set the fire alarm off when I'm making the kids dinner. And by dinner, I often do mean, yes, gas, frozen chicken nuggets. But I promise I heat them up first, okay? I promise they're not frozen when I give them to my toddlers. I was going to guess dino nuggets. Like dino nuggets. We love the dino Uh nuggets. We also love the dino nuggets with veggies mixed in. It's like, it kind of makes me feel like I'm doing something good, you know? Um, But all jokes aside, like I, I know I can't cook very well. I can't teach you on that. But one thing I, I am really passionate about is helping people to be more courageous, more brave, more gutsy. And so um, I'm as imperfect as it comes, and yet I embrace it wholeheartedly. And I'm really excited to get to chat with you about it. I love that so much. I love that so much. Um, okay, tell me, and this is like, I, I'm so excited to hear about this. And so everyone else, get excited too. This is good. Um, I want to hear about your entrepreneurial journey. Like, how did you give us the, like, and then I did this. And then at this point I did this and like this led to this. Cause I just, I don't, I knew that you were with HoneyBook. I knew, um, I know about Rising Tide. I am pretty sure I'm a member of Rising Tide actually. Um, And so I know about Rising Tide, but I don't know like how even that happened or, and I don't know how that jumped to to HoneyBook. So, and, and I'm using words that, most of our listeners are like, what is a honey what? book and what is a rising tide? So yeah, uh, catch us up. Yes. So I was in my junior year of high school when my mom bought me a camera. And that is where it truly begins. My entire life changed when I realized that I could take this little black box with a battery inside and a lens on the front of it. And I could capture people's lives. And I fell in love with photography. And so I started a photography business. That's truly where my entrepreneurial journey began. And I was photographing weddings as soon as I graduated from high school. I used that business to pay my way through undergrad at Penn. And I would go to school Monday through Friday. I was studying the brain. I was studying visual neuroscience, psychology of seeing. I'm a huge nerd and I love understanding how our mind works. And then on the weekends, I would take the train from Philadelphia back home. 
uh, to Baltimore, Indianapolis, and I would photograph weddings. And I did this rinse and repeat all through college. At the end of that college year, my senior year, I decided not to go get a full-time W-2 job and instead take this chance and take that diploma, by the way, and kind of like hide it and pretend like, you know, I wasn't leaving an Ivy League degree to become an artist. But I did. Uh, and and I, I went, I went full-time into this business and built it, you know, to a multi-six-figure wedding photography business by, you know, a year after graduation. And what I realized rather quickly in that experience was you can hit every success metric in the book. You can check every box that the world would say, oh, that means she's made it. And you can still feel completely alone. And that is where I landed after launching that business full-time after college. And that is what initiated Rising Tide, which was essentially my kind of shout into the void of saying, I'm tired of struggling with isolation and loneliness and hustling for the sake of hustling. I need community. I need people. I need relationships. I need to know that this purpose that I'm pursuing isn't in vain, that we are all doing this together. We're trying to make an impact on this world. And so I put that call out into the world and very quickly other business owners answered. And it was like a little spark of loneliness that caught fire into this you know, massive flame. And we started meeting for coffee in my hometown of Annapolis. And then other people wanted to meet up with business owners in their hometowns. And rather quickly, Rising Tide went from an idea, a single coffee meetup, to 400 chapters meeting every month around the United States and the world with the shared values of community over competition, of saying we might compete for in the business space, but at the end of the day, we are people and we put people first and we put community first. And so Rising Tide within about six months had scaled to a couple hundred chapters. We were like maybe just over a hundred, maybe it was like not quite two. Um, and that is where HoneyBook entered the picture. And so we were trying to figure out how the heck to make this community sustainable. We had built it as a passion project. It's free. Um, so it was never monetized, never charged for meetups, never charged for resources. Everything was volunteer in and out. And so we recognized rather quickly when it started to scale to that magnitude that we we needed to figure out a way that, <laughs> you know, like I, I, it's one thing when your side hustle, that's like a passion project then becomes the full-time job and you didn't realize it as it was happening. And that's kind of where we landed. So we partnered with HoneyBook initially, and then that led to an acquisition and HoneyBook actually acquired Rising Tide. And it was part of HoneyBook's company umbrella for years and years and years. And this is like very new news, very much breaking news, but... Uh, this year, HoneyBook actually has given the IP back to the leaders and the leaders have moved forward with creating a nonprofit. So Rising Tide as of 2023 is going to be moving forward as an official nonprofit status, which is kind of wild and unheard of in the business world, but I think very true to both HoneyBook's values and the heart behind this community and the leaders that want to see uh, Rising Tide continue on to do amazing things in a nonprofit you know, way. Um, but ultimately, that led to HoneyBook. And so I've, I've gone from photographer to community builder to working in tech to empower those businesses that I love so much. Kind of at the end of the day, just trying to create a world that is better than the one that I found. I want to create a world and be a contributor to that change where anyone can pursue their passion and can build a life that is rooted in purpose. That is what I want. And I see entrepreneurship as one of the ways to get there. And so... That's that's kind of my uh, my journey from you know starting as a photographer all the way through where I am today, uh, working with HoneyBook and publishing books like Built to Belong and Gutsy. I love that so 
much. I love that so much. And really, I feel like that's what, um, that's, I first discovered Rising Tide like really early in my entrepreneurial journey. And it was through mastermind sisters of mine, um, one of whom is a photographer. And it was just having them and then having like, I feel like you guys pioneered, you pioneered this idea of of getting to do this solo work together. And um, I really have never felt, I think, I don't think ever felt um, lonely in being a small business owner because of that. Um, and that's just a really cool thing because it is a very lonely, weird thing to do a job that like nobody else understands. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you for that. I love that. I have so many questions because I know that we, you know, I'm a small business owner. I have been for, you know, upwards of a decade. And I know that a lot of the women in our community are small business owners, but I know that we also just, more than being small business owners, because we're not a community of, of entrepreneurs, but we are a community of dreamers. Um, and so I know that the women in our community have something that they are pursuing or something that they're dreaming about that they haven't started pursuing yet. Um, and because you've walked so many people through this, I want to just kind of pick your brain about um, a couple of different roadblocks that we encounter on this journey um, and like how to get over them so that we can like get a move on, you know? Um, and so the first thing I wanted to ask you is you have partnered with or you've worked with more than 100,000 independent businesses in their journey towards success, whatever that looks like for them. What are some of these common roadblocks that you see people facing? Yes, I wish we had all day because there are so many roadblocks. And what I will note is you're 100% right on the kind of framework of saying, you know, I know I've worked with entrepreneurs, but this applies to everyone. I talk a lot. There's a section in the book, actually, where I talk about something like subordinate language. What the heck is that? Subordinate language is using the word like just, just. I'm just a photographer. I'm just a stay-at-home parent. I'm just a... We as women put that word just in front of everything that we do. I'm just checking in. Because in order to make ourselves more palatable and more pleasing and more acceptable to the world, we find subordinate language as a vehicle to diminish our impact in what we're trying to do or say. And I bring that up right at the outset of this, because when we talk about roadblocks, one of the biggest roadblocks that we aren't often aware of, but yet I see impact people day in and day out, is the mindset roadblocks of things like the work I do doesn't matter. The impact I make isn't substantial enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. Is anyone going to care if I do this thing? Or will anyone believe I'm even able to do it? What will other people think? Will they judge me? What if I try and I fail and I let people down? And notice in all of those trains of thought, I not once mentioned entrepreneurship. These roadblocks impact us in every way, in every season differently. I shared uh, recently with a friend how last Halloween was my first Halloween with having you know, my son in preschool. And it was the first time I experienced the wide array of Halloween costumes that kids have. And I felt inadequate from the minute I watched that parade start at the preschool because here I was, I had a newborn baby, I was postpartum, and I just bought a Big Bird costume. Like I just bought a costume. I was like, my son will love this. Here we go. I bought it. And 
I get to this preschool and every mom there had made the most beautiful costumes. They were creative. They were innovative. They were puns and they were witty. And I'm sitting there like staring at my little big bird and feeling like, did I fail him as a mom? Am I not enough? Am I not showing up in the way that he needs? And those doubts, those fears, those insecurities start creeping in. The roadblocks that we face are very rarely external and very much so internal. We like to think it's things like failure, right? Failure is the reason we're not achieving our dreams. Failure is the thing keeping us from pursuing them. But the truth of the matter is more dreams never begin than end in failure. More dreams are stifled before they even have a chance to take root and to bloom. And so often that comes from many of the fears that I work to confront when I work with entrepreneurs and when I talk to myself on a daily basis. I write about this, not because I'm an expert, because I'm a lifelong student. And you know, I think it was really kind of that train of thought that led to writing Gutsy. So I'm here for any of the above, any of those roadblocks. But I can tell you very often, we like to place blame on things that aren't really the roadblocks. And what I just mentioned tends to be at the root of uh, much of what holds us back and much of what keeps us stuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am. I feel like we could sit together at the parade because my kids just, uh, we. I got them like um, onesies. I actually highly recommend this. I got them super soft like animal onesies. So one of my girls was a pig. One of them was a duck. And they're super comfy. And they wore them for like months and months and months afterwards. Um, and they were super cuddly. But uh, yeah, it was like one-stop shop. Got them from Amazon. And so when probably this year I get to the preschool parade, I'm going to be there with the big bird costume. And I will <laughs> be thinking of you. Think <laughs> of two me. big birds. <laughs> Anyone who shows up to a preschool parade or a party and feels inadequate, just remember me. Remember me in my big bird costume. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to come with a store-bought one. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have the time or skill for that. Um, okay. So you mentioned your book, which I meant to mention a long time ago. Let's t- stop and talk about it. You have a new book called Gutsy, and the mm-hmm. subtitle is awesome. It's Learning to Live with Bold, Brave, and Boundless Courage. Tell me, like, how did this, I mean, we've kind of talked about what some of the book is about, but tell me how this book, like, happened. Yes. So this book is the book that I wrote because I recognized that if I was going to leave one thing to my kids, one bit of legacy, one bit of wisdom, you know, what would it be and what would I say to them? And I realized it's what I wish I could say to my younger self. Gutsy is the book I wish I had when I was in my 20s. And heck, I still need... I I literally reread part of it this morning, even just to remind myself. I wrote this book because I recognize that each human being on this earth has been given such a beautiful opportunity to make an impact, is created uniquely and gifted and equipped specifically for what they are meant to do. And yet most of us are shrinking back, holding back, you know, remaining quiet, quiet, uh, keeping ourselves stuck and stagnant rather than moving forward boldly, doing the things scared, right? Pursuing what we are called to pursue. We hold ourselves back and we are often that roadblock that keeps us from moving into the impact that only we can make. And I wanted to write a book about courage, but I wanted to write an honest book about courage. And there's a, a section in Gutsy. I will say, you know, it's my first book, Built to Belong, was about community. That's like a sweet bell pepper. Gutsy is a spicy habanero. It is a kick in the pants. It is a little bit fiery. So if you want a little bit of that fire, definitely pick up this book. If you want someone to walk alongside you and help you to be more bold and courageous in your life, also, yes, pick up this book. There's a part though in Gutsy when I'm talking about honesty where I say, you know, 
stop caring about what other people think is terrible advice because you can't. That's the type of honesty I'm talking about here. I go into the neuroscience behind why human beings will always care about what other people think, how it is not a bug. It's not a mistake. There is no mistake made about you. It is wired into your brain for a reason. We talk about that in Gutsy, for example. And so I wanted to write a book that really got to the heart of the issue, that didn't beat around the bush, that didn't give you some sort of false idea of how to overcome this thing that somehow is a mistake or a flaw in your design because there is nothing flawed about it. It is wired into you for a reason and that is okay. But it's important for us to acknowledge that even though that is a part of who we are, we will always worry about what other people think to some degree. We will always care about the opinions of those we respect and admire. We will always look to other human beings as a mirror to ourselves. This is all built in. We don't have to allow that though to keep us from making the impact that only we can make. And sometimes when that concern spirals and becomes an obsession where we're scrolling and scrolling and comparing and comparing or where we're starting to let those feelings of inadequacy keep us from really owning the beauty of our lives, the gratitude that we deserve to feel for waking up every morning and doing the work and and loving the people that only we can love and making the impact only we can make, right? Like that's where we have to address it. And so All of that to say, you know, Gutsy is a book for anyone who has ever felt stuck, has ever procrastinated, has ever looked at somebody else running after a dream and wished it was them. Gutsy is the book for the version of you that you truly are, not the person you think you should be, not the person the world expects you to be, not the impossible pressures that you put upon yourself every day, but the reality of how miraculous you truly are just by taking breath every morning when you wake up. And it also is a book that will, like I said, kick you in the pants to recognize those things and then still get after the things that you want. Okay, I, we like don't normally go in this order of things here on Girls' Night, but tell us when the book comes out and where we can buy it because I feel like everyone's, that's what everyone's thinking right now. Yes, so the book is coming out August 15th. We perfectly timed it for back to school. Uh, not that back to school is a season that everyone experiences, but you know, it's kind of a mental reset. September and like end of August when vacations are done and, and summer is over, that's where a lot of us are like, okay, I've only got a couple months left in the year. This feeling is creeping up where I, I want to do something. I want to reset. I want a fresh start. So August 15th, it hits shelves. You can pre-order it anytime before then. Um, and it's available everywhere, everywhere the books are sold. All right. We're going to link to that in our show notes um, because we all now are obsessed and need a copy. So that's how that goes. This is like maybe a side note, but you guys, anyone, we have authors on the show a lot. Um, and I don't know that we, as like readers, realize how important it is for books and for authors to have pre-sales. Um, when you, like the kindest thing you could do for someone who you follow, who you, you know, follow them on Instagram, read their stuff, listen to their podcast, whatever. If they have a book coming out, like the kindest thing you can do for them is to pre-order a copy. It's so true. Followed by like re- like leaving a review, sharing yeah. about it. But really it is like, it is a hug for every author to pre-order their book. Um, Authors like to say pre-orders are our love language uh-huh. and reviews are our second love language. <laughs> but like, no, you're spot on. Yes, yes, it's yes. Just, it makes such a difference. So um, mm-hmm. let's do that for each other. Um, okay, so... You mentioned what people will think. And actually, I guess before we we dive into that, one of the fears that I think 
along with like, I can't do this, um, which I think we all feel. There's this piece that is really hard to get over that is somebody else already is. Yes. And it's, it might be that they're doing it better and I can't compete. Or it might be they're just doing it. Everybody knows about them. Like there's not, there's just not room for me. What have you, what have you learned about that? Yeah, I, I have a very firm belief that the best books are not even on the shelf. I believe the best books were never written. I believe the best businesses were never built. I believe the best ideas were never spoken aloud because somebody had that exact thought. Somebody said, but they've already done it, but they've done it better. But who am I? And I really want that to resonate and I really want that to hit home. There is someone out there that needs to hear that right now. Because I guarantee you there is somebody listening to this that has an idea or you know, has something to say that could change someone's life, that could save someone's life, that could change the world, and they choose not to speak it for that exact reason. And you know, it is so important for us to remember that you know, those little inklings, those intuitions, those nudges are not by accident. Those feelings of, you know, wanting to do something, wanting to pursue something, something being laid on your heart is very, very often indication and should be indication enough that there is room for you. And that's the most important thing to remember in all of this. It doesn't matter whether a million people have done that exact same thing before. No one of those people is you. No one can do it like you. No one will say it like you. No one has lived through the things that you've lived through. No one has overcome the things that you have overcome. You have an ability to transform somebody else's life. And even if it's only one person, isn't that more than enough? That's the truth. That's what I have to say to it. I, I'll share one little personal story here. Um, some, of, some of you, if you have been following me, you know, five years ago, I went in for neurosurgery to remove a benign brain tumor. And... That surgery is very much the reason that I have two miracle babies. Prior to that, you know, I, fertility treatment centers wouldn't even treat me because of my tumor. Um, I write about this in Built to Belong, but the best doctors in the world wouldn't help me to conceive with my husband. We had been married. Um, now we've been married for over a decade. We've been together for 17 years. And there were years and years and years there where I truly thought that we wouldn't even get the chance to try for babies because of this brain tumor. I go in for surgery five years ago and I have a successful removal of this tumor. Six months after that, I'm cleared to start trying for a baby. And well, if you look at any of my photos on social, you can see that there are two miracles now that I never thought God would give me. I never thought I would have. And I share all of that, not to tell you about my story, but, but to tell you about someone else's. And that is the first woman who ever went in for that surgery. I had the opportunity to connect with a young woman, now she's she's a little bit older than me, but not by much, which is so mind-blowing. Um, but she was the experimental case who raised her hand to do that surgery, to give herself a chance at having that pituitary tumor removed. And because she raised her hand to do that thing, she changed my life. She took a bold, brave risk. She didn't know what the outcome would be. She believed that for science, maybe the doctors could learn how to perform this procedure better and better and better and give more people the opportunity. She never had children, was never able to have them. And I do. Sorry, like makes me, um, I say that because there are risks that we will be called to take and we have a choice whether we take them or not. That's our free will. That is up to us. 
doesn't have to be something as massive as braid surgery. But what I am saying is that you shouldn't underestimate the risks you are called to take. You have no idea whose life will be impacted. Even if somebody else has launched a podcast, even if somebody else has written a book, even if somebody else has created a food blog about dairy-free living, you have no idea what mama is going to have a baby and find out she has to go dairy-free because she wants to keep breastfeeding and your blog is going to enable her to breastfeed her infant. And I'm speaking yet again from a personal experience. Thank you to all of the food bloggers out there who shared their dairy-free recipes so I was able to breastfeed my daughter Harlow. Don't doubt your impact. Even if someone else has done it, they aren't you and you are being called to take that risk for a reason. I feel like we could just stop there. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. I think one of the things that kind of happens to me as, as we, like, as I record interviews for Girls Night is I like, questions pop into my head and I'm like, okay, the crowd is wondering, like, this is the next question that the crowd is wondering. And I feel like as you were talking about the fact that the best ideas, like the best books haven't been written, the best businesses haven't been started because someone like downplayed it and, and, you know, didn't take the leap. Like, I feel like we need to know how do we know if the idea that we're going to if, if this idea is like amazing or if it's a flop. Um, this is such a random story, but we're going to like, welcome to Girls Night. We're going to do tangents. Uh, <laughs> last night, last night, uh, my husband was making us dinner. Thank you because I can't cook. Um, and he, we were watching Shark Tank. Just It was just like on. And um, a guy was talking about how early in his career, he was paid for some like freelance work or he he did some freelance work for this guy and he was offered either like, the guy was like, I can pay you or I can give you some equity. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. I can give you some equity in my company. And the guy had just had a baby. His wife had just had a baby. And so his wife is like, we need money. Like, I don't want a piece of this guy's whatever business. And so he passed up the equity, took the cash, which was what? Probably like a thousand bucks, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the company was under armor. And yeah. the sharks were like, how much would that be worth now? And he's like, um, like 285 million, something yeah. like that. Number that's probably really stuck in his head. Uh, and so I guess the question though is like, that wasn't a bad decision. Like that really was a roll of the dice. You have a new baby. You need to feed yourself, your family, your baby. You need money. And so you do some work. You take the cash because it really could have been this business that like never turns into anything And so I feel like we're wondering that for ourselves. Like, how do I know if this is a good idea or not? How do I know if this is something that really... I mean, what you were saying before with, if it makes an impact on one person, that's enough. And so it's like that... I guess maybe that's... Maybe I just answered the the question. Okay, I'm going to let you talk. (laughs) No, I love that. And I love the Under Armour story because what's so interesting is I hear that and I know everyone's first reaction is something along the lines of, oh gosh, that's, you know, he should have made the other decision. But had he made the other decision, had he made the decision to go with equity, he probably wouldn't be standing in front of the sharks, launching something new, creating something new, hungry for his next idea. And that can be the very idea that impacts the exact person who was meant to be impacted, could make even a greater impact, right, than any amount of millions on millions on millions of dollars. Yes, it would be nice. Yes, 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 yes. But I also believe that, you know, our stories can't be summed up in in one good decision, right? Like, or one bad decision. Um, I was actually starting to read Johnny Cuff's new book that's coming out 
in a couple of months this fall. And there's a part in there where he's like, have you ever gone, you know, like you make what, 35,000 decisions every single day. Has anyone ever gone 35,000 for 35,000 on a Monday? Is what Johnny Cuff said. He's like, no, of course not. No one has. And so I say that to say, you know, how do you, how do you unpack? Like, is this going to be a success or not? And my answer is you won't know. You won't know. But yet again, a couple things to learn from this. One, that right there is what keeps people from even getting started. People wait until it's perfect. People wait until they're sure. They are absolutely certain that this idea is going to be successful before they start. And by that point, it's far too late. You have to leap not knowing. That's what faith is all about. Now, the important part here, though, too, on the flip side is that it requires us to reframe our relationship with failure. We cannot see failure as the end. We have to see failure as a necessary stepping stone towards our greatest success. We have to see success as something we actually build on the foundation of those failures. When you go into anything, whether it's parenting, a relationship, a business, knowing you're gonna make a ton of mistakes and you may never get it perfect. You probably won't. I don't even think it's possible to get anything in this life perfect but you will eventually get some things right. And those things will be the things that matter. When you go into anything with that mindset, you are setting yourself up for the very type of success that you are looking for. Again, not hoping that it's gonna be exactly what you expect the first time around. The first time you do anything, it should be the worst version of it. We were talking about books before we hopped on, right? And you're like, I'm in the writing. I mean, it is rough right now. And I I said, good, it should be. Do you know how many people like don't even start to write the first draft because they think it sucks? Most, most. So you sometimes have to create that bad first draft. You have, and you might not even know it at the time. I mean, I go back and read my first book, which I'm proud of. I, I, I spent a huge chunk of my life researching, learning, and crafting that. And yet I can still tell you my second book is 10 times better than my first. And it should be. Every iteration should be improved from the iteration before it. That's a natural progression of how we live. And yet we so often think, but if I don't get the first thing right, then the whole thing is a failure. And I think it's so important for us to reframe our relationship with that. I share one story in the book with the CMO of HoneyBook, Dan, who has just become a mentor for me. And it was my first, he was truly like my first big boss I was ever very nervous uh, to work for. Because again, entrepreneurial girl here, I've never interviewed for a job in my entire life. Um, You know, that's just not my world. So for me to be nervous about a boss, was was a new experience for me. By the way, I mean, he's worked at change.org. He's worked at Google and big companies all across Silicon Valley. Barack Obama follows him on Twitter. Like this guy's legit. Okay. So I was right to be a little intimidated. We sit down for our first meeting and Dan Visnick looks around the room at the entire marketing team. And he says, does anyone know how many swings it takes for a professional baseball player to hit a home run? And I'm thinking this is like a Harvard interview. You hear rumors about these types of interview questions where they ask you something you're not supposed to know the answer to to see how you calculate and quantify and, you know, try to problem solve. So here I am panicking, like, how many swings? How many swings? How many swings at bat? And he just kind of stops all of us before we spiral into a complete pandemonium. And he says, look, the number of swings doesn't actually matter. That's not the point. What I'm trying to say here is that for a professional baseball player to even hit the ball, they're going to miss a lot. None of those balls that they hit, most of them are never going to be a home run. It's a rarity. It's a moonshot that when their bat actually connects with the ball, that it even progresses the game forward. And these are professional baseball players. These are people who make their entire living playing the sport. And so 
the point of that story and, and the reason for what he calls the batter's box every single week on the team is to create an environment where we know we're going to miss and we're going to miss a lot. And instead of being afraid of the failures, we actually celebrate them. Instead of assuming that we're going to hit a home run every single time we step up to bat, we know that that's a rare moment and we appreciate that moment all the more for it because of the misses that it takes to get there. And so every week on the team, you know, he actually kicks off a series called Batter's Box and he makes different team members share what they failed at that week, what tests they ran that didn't turn out the way they expected, what learnings we have, you know, what we can do better. And there is always things, you know, that we want to do better. And I really just fell in love with that version of cultivating a, a culture, really like a team culture, a community culture, a company culture of embracing failure. And so it's a, a practice. Like I would encourage folks to do that. You know, it, it, ladies, if you're listening to this, like, what did you fail at this week? What did you do that sucked? What, what, like, did you go out and try and attempt to accomplish? And it didn't turn out the way that you thought. Did you show up to preschool Halloween and realize like, Everyone else made their costumes and they're 10 times better than yours. And great, like, let's start celebrating those little moments of failures, those little mistakes, those blips, those those insecurities even, because the moment that we shine a light on that failure, it loses its power over us, right? Light drives away uh, so much of, of what holds us back and keeps us stuck. So I know that's a long answer, but all of that to say, I think reframing our relationship with failure is a huge learning that uh, it takes a lot of us a lifetime to uncover. 